the question and answer from the Orthodox Catechism I want to uh, address you on concerns the sufferings of our Lord, the sufferings of our Lord. The Catechism moves from the identity of the mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, to his acts for us. So his person, who he is, and his works, what he does. He is the Son of God called Jesus because he saves sinners. He is called Christ because he was ordained of the Father and anointed of the Holy Spirit as prophet, priest, and king. He is the only begotten Son of God due to his eternal and natural relation to the Father. Our sonship is temporal by adoption and divine grace. His is eternal, natural, and unique. We call him Lord because he redeems us body and soul and delivers us from the power of the devil freeing us to serve him. Our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is no ordinary man. He is God with us, for us, and for our salvation. That's my introduction. So here's the question and its answer. It's a long answer. It's wonderful. What do you believe when you say he suffered? I say that probably every week. Our Lord suffered and then entered into his glory. Here's the answer of the catechism, that he all the time of his life, which he led on the earth, but especially at the end of it, sustained the wrath of God, both in body and soul, against the sin of all mankind, that he might, by his passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, deliver our body and soul from everlasting damnation and purchase for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. What do you believe when you say he suffered? So this section has to do with the sufferings of our Lord. There is a synonym, if you've been around Christianity for any uh, amount of time, you know sometimes we identify his sufferings as his passion, the passion of our Lord. That is, he was uh, acted upon. He was, a, he was a patient, and there were agents that were doing things that altered his state of mind, challenged his state of mind, or, and then caused him to act in certain ways. We find when we read the Gospels that the agents that were having influence on the Son of God incarnate according to his human nature would be both creatures and God. Creatures did things that caused our Lord to suffer, to not have something he should have had from his creature, from uh, 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 fellow creatures. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the dr- stroke that justice gave. You, remember, you know, many hands were raised to wound him. That's a form of his passion. He was getting something he shouldn't have gotten. Um, but the deepest stroke was the stroke that justice gave. He voluntarily willingly took the stroke that justice gave. It's not like he's a he's a victim. He is a victim in one sense and not a victim. He's a willing victim of the other sense. Though we normally think of his sufferings or his passion as occurring on the cross, it actually extends to his entire lifetime during which he experienced the common infirmities of human nature yet without 
sin. His entire life while on the earth is sometimes called the state of humiliation. It refers to the period between the conception of our Lord in the womb to his death and burial. More strictly, though, our Lord's passion refers to the final trials culminating in his crucifixion. The word passion here means to undergo change because something happens from the outside that causes the loss or the lack of something. For example, our Lord suffered the common infirmities of human nature after the fall into sin, such as physical pain inflicted on him by other men. Did he have physical pain inflicted on him by other men? Yes. Did he deserve to have physical pain inflicted on him by other men? No. That's a form of uh, suffering. Do you ever get something you don't deserve and didn't, didn't handle the situation well? Our Lord got something he didn't deserve from mankind, and yet he handled every situation perfect. He was rejected by others. Should the sinless Son of God incarnate have been rejected by others? No, he shouldn't have been, but he was. He was mocked, and he was uh, even had anxiety. Now my soul is troubled. Be anxious for nothing. Is there a way to have soul trouble and yet not sin? Well, in theory there is, but in actual fact and practice, there was in our Lord, but never in us. Various ways that he suffered, but again, the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Our Lord, according to his human nature, was subject to things happening to him that should not have happened to him. In that sense, he suffered. These things happened to him because he lived in a sin-cursed world among sin-cursed men and women. He should have been loved and respected like no other man before. Instead, he was despised and rejected. He lived in a world where the wrath of God was in action against sin. The wrath of God since the fall into sin has been revealed among all men in various ways. God's Wrath is the historical execution of God's justice. It's not something that only comes at the end of time. Uh, the wrath of God is being made manifest, is being revealed uh, on the earth at all times. All the wrongs and all the sorrows and all the difficulties and all the trials mankind has faced since the fall into sin are evidence that the wrath of God is in action among us God gives us over in our sins and to our sins, evidencing his wrath against us. It was into this kind of a world that our Lord was born and lived and experienced all that he did. So we can say the mockery and the disrespect from others that he endured, he did so for us. Have you ever been teased, mocked, ridiculed, and not handled it properly? I have. By my, especially by my two older brothers, especially one of them. Jesus handled the mockery, and in his case, the disrespect impeccably, never sinning in response to this. Instead, he got from God what we deserved. He suffered many wrongs against him, 
from men, both in body and soul, though he was without sin. As the writer of the Hebrews says, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. But as the catechism goes on to tell us, there was a culminating aspect to his sufferings or passion, and that was when he made himself the only propitiatory sacrifice which delivers us body and soul from everlasting damnation. A propitiatory sacrifice refers to his death on the cross when he, offering himself for for this purpose, endured and exhausted the wrath of God against us and for us. He stands in our place and he satisfies the justice of God in actually two ways. The justice of God requires of us personal, 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 perfect, and perpetual obedience to the law of God. We have not done that. He does that for us. The, the, the justice of God requires satisfaction, punishment, for those who have violated the law. Jesus takes our punishment. He, he assumes our nature to assume our duties and to assume our liabilities. And as he's assuming our liabilities, he's alleviating, he's turning the wrath of God from finding its terminus in us to himself. He propitiates the wrath of God, divine justice in historical execution by taking it for us in our place. That's the satisfaction he offered to the Father par excellence on the cross. To propitiate then means to appease or satisfy, and in the case of our Lord's death, to appease or satisfy the justice of God by taking the historical execution of it, wrath, instead of us taking it. Instead of God's wrath against us, finding us as its bullseye, finding our souls and our bodies as its bullseye, it finds as its target, as its terminus as its bullseye, our Lord, on the cross, and it is there extinguished in full. So now, if you read the text, John 19.30, it is finished. You can't say everything the incarnate Son of God came to do for us and for our salvation is finished. He's not dead yet. He's not buried, and he's not risen from the dead. He's not ascended, and he's not in his current session. It is finished refers to his sufferings. Uh, He had just said, I thirst before that, probably because right before that he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Probably because whatever it is for the incarnate son to endure divine wrath, he, he had just endured it. That's when he says it is finished. This is why we sing the following words. Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, he suffered, which he did not deserve, but he suffered that. His, his, his friends were scaredy cats, and they disowned his cause while he was on the earth. Foes insulting his distress, again a form of suffering. Many hands were raised to wound him, none were interposed to save, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. So these 
precious words of the catechism capture uh, these precious words of that hymn capture what the catechism says, which is just a summary of what the scripture says. Our Lord suffered in life. Our Lord suffered in death. He deserved other than he received in order that we, we might receive other than we deserve. He received in order that we might receive other than we deserve. By the way, can you see his sufferings according to his human nature inflicted upon him by other creatures in the Gospels? Yes. If we were there in the first century, could we see people sinning against our Lord? Yes, that's a form of suffering. Could we see the deepest stroke that pierced him, though? Could you see divine wrath inflicting uh, the Son of God on the cross? You couldn't see it, right? You know that movie... I've never seen it. Okay. I've seen enough of it or heard about it. The gory parts are the things that men were doing. The worst things are the things that men were doing. The deepest strokes that he got were inflicted by creatures. You can't see propitiation happening. That is the big wonder of the death of Christ. Not that men killed a sinless man, but that God punished his son in the place of others. There is this great and mysterious exchange that's invisible, but it was we know it's true because God has revealed it. The Son of God incarnate suffers what he does not deserve on the cross in order that believers in Christ do not suffer what they deserve. This is grounds for wonder, amazement, worship, and service, and hopefully... Uh, provides a good introduction to the supper. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for uh, ancient documents, old documents like this catechism that encapsulates the teaching of Scripture in brief compass and in, in brief statements. We thank you for the incarnation, for the sufferings uh, unto death, even death on the, on the cross. His obedience was a suffering obedience he received things from men he shouldn't have. He received thing, uh, something from heaven that he had covenanted to receive before the world was. This, is a, this has to be revealed to us. We can see men abusing the Son of God incarnate. We can't see that invisible work of propitiation, the alleviation of the execution of the wrath of God terminating on us, but instead upon him. That's an invisible thing, but it's real. It happened. You've revealed it to be so, and we, uh, we're we amazed by it because we don't get what we deserve. He get what we de deserved, and we get what we don't deserve. We get all the benefits of the work of mediation. We get to be adopted into the family of God, we have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the faith. Some are living, some are absent from the body, present with the Lord. Thank you for all these wonderful things, the forgiveness of all of our sins, and now bless the supper as we take together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.